Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 190 with the Founder 5th Birthday Highlights of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am the host of the Founder Podcast and also the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. And if you are new here, welcome to the Founder Podcast where we interview some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation and uh, you really get to learn like what it takes to build a successful business and shortcut and learn from all their experiences and Trust me, they got battle stories, they got wounds, they got scars, we all do. So guys, I'm really excited because we're actually going to do something different for the next few weeks. Kind of this month of March is kind of Founders' uh, fifth birthday, uh, I guess, celebrations month. And uh, over the next few weeks, we're really going to celebrate the fifth birthday. And I I just can't believe, you know, this incredible milestone that uh, we've hit. I never thought, you know, I started Founder you know, with a few thousand dollars off the back of a credit card, you know, we didn't have a podcast. It was just a digital magazine. I had no idea, you know, it would be, you know, our content would impact millions of people on a monthly basis. I'm so humbled and, and just, I forget like how far we've come. It seems like yesterday that I was just hustling in my day job. But anyways, it's an incredible milestone. I'm super pumped to be sharing this, you know, awesome you know, milestone with you. So, we're doing something really special. One of the ways that we'll be making this a special occasion is over the next few weeks, we're going to do a best of series of the podcast. And we've actually, you know, clipped and edited the most popular episodes of the podcast that we've released. We've actually gone off, found all the gems from each episode that will really give you an edge when you're thinking about your own business and your own brand and how you're operating. 
And this week, we're focusing on content, marketing, and building your presence online. And that's something we get asked all the time about blogging, SEO, marketing, content, social media, and in particular, Instagram, and really how to form your presence online. So as a special treat for you this week, we've found some serious gold. I always talk about the gold. We've found so much gold. We've been really digging. And, uh, you know, from all the conversations, like with Greta Rose Van Real, queen of Instagram, influencer marketer, uh, absolute superstar, one of the OGs of blogging, Darren Rouse, Instagram millionaire, one of our students has done uh, has done our Instagram donation training. We're super successful. And also content king, Derek Fransrich of founder of greatest so to get started here is the instagram queen greta rose van real i think 17 16 million 70 million plus followers and counting influencer marketing genius blew up skinny me tea she's done it multiple times we've actually worked with her we she's taught at one of our courses as well we've got so many courses but she's taught our e-commerce course she's an absolute superstar if you want to find out more about her make sure you uh go check out founder.com forward slash e-commerce now Greta's been on the podcast two times, and in both of the episodes, these are actually our highest ranking, most downloaded episodes that we've ever released, and she's one of the smartest female founders out there that I know in Melbourne. She's absolutely crushing it, master of e-commerce, master of growth marketing product, and here's some of my conversation with Greta and the tactics around growth hacking, Instagram tactics, and influencer marketing. Now, before we just jump in, I just want to let you know one thing, and that is we are having a founder birthday, fifth birthday special week, and uh, we're running a ton of specials and, you know, on all of our training and all sorts of things, books, magazines, you name it. So guys, if you do want to check that out, and if you do want to learn from Greta or, you know, people that, you know, have killed it with uh our Instagram training, go to founder.com forward slash fifth birthday. And that's fifth, no, it's the number five. So founder.com forward slash the number five TH birthday, fifth birthday. And uh, you can, you know, jump in, get in on these special deals. It's actually closing in the next couple of days. So I don't want you to miss out. And, uh, you know, guys, I hope you enjoy the next few weeks of this awesome content roundup. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this and share your earbuds with me. All right, now let's jump into the show. All right, let's let's move on to this growth hacking stuff because I'm super impressed with how you grow these companies at such a speed. You you kind of say like you, you kind of say as if you you're very humble, like you, you're getting lucky, but you're definitely not. I want to know, you know, how do you find out these answers that that you know, and, and all this knowledge you have because you have no background in startups and, and you know, this is all new to you. Uh, first of all, yeah, how, how do you find the answers and, and talk us through like, like maybe your, your late, like your latest product that you started, how would you grow that over social media in particular Instagram? Like let's, let's talk some strategies. What would you do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, to begin with, I didn't have any background in business, but then luckily through some opportunities that came about from Skinny Me Tea actually to begin with, I was able to gain a lot more business insight. Uh, I've had some incredible mentors. I've met some incredible people that some of which you've actually interviewed on the show. So back in 2013, we won the Shopify Build a Business Award, which 
meant that Shopify flew us to New York to meet with a lot of different mentors some different advisors, including Tim Ferriss, Damon John, Eric Rees, the Lean Startup, and a lot more. And that was kind of the first time that I realized that I wasn't just stumbling upon something. Like you said, it wasn't just all luck that I was doing something that was quite different and unusual and that a lot of the people within that competition that were other winners as well were doing a similar thing. And that was mostly had to do with audience building. So Instagram was definitely the area that I was most comfortable in. And I kind of identified the fact that not everybody is willing to follow a product page per se, especially for Skinny Me D. Not everybody wants to follow a page that has the word skinny in it, unfortunately. I just thought it sounded cute at the time. I wasn't trying to enter into any paradigms or discourses surrounding weight in that way. And B, that were very branded. So I thought of funnels in general and I thought of growth funnels online and it has to do with identifying a lot of different verticals. So I split down the verticals within Skinny Me Tea, for example, and I split those mostly into food and nourishment side and then fitness and health side. So then I started building up pages across Instagram in the food and fitness demographics and then kind of funneling those interested customers back into the business page and onto our website through those. So we were able to, over time, build up a following of over 15 million Instagram followers. So across my different accounts, which include Vines, for example, at Vines on Instagram, that's been a very popular one. It grows organically every two to three weeks. It grows 100,000 followers on its own just because of the name and because of the engagement on the account. So that's got 5.3 million followers now, 5.4 by today, I would hope, because <laughs> <laughs> it's about to tick across actually. And, yeah, so building up those Instagram pages across verticals was really, really helpful for us in not only relying solely upon your product page. Yeah, I see. So when you say um, building up pages just just for the audience, you're saying that you build these fan-type enthusiast kind of pages, which are just, I guess, like a vision board that, that inspire people or, you know, they might be, you know, they, they would follow that page because you know you're not, it's it's about a certain niche or topic that people can get behind and it's not a brand page, not a business page. People aren't going to be sold to, or, or the, the assumption is there that it's, there's not going to be much ads or product pushes or anything like that. Right. Yeah, definitely. And when you do do an ad or a product push, you want that to be as organic and authentic as you possibly can. So you want to offer real insights and you want to offer incentives to actually click across and follow something. So we might offer, we have an Instagram account called at free eating plan on Instagram and they click through to our website and they get a free eating plan that they can download and use during their detox. Um, so adding those incentives has been really, really important in our content strategy and free resources and other content strategies like that have been really, really helpful for us. 
Mm, I see. So if somebody was starting out, you know, like let's say you were starting from scratch again, you know, you've got this e-commerce based product, you've identified a trend or something that is quite hot, maybe on social media, or you think it's coming. What would you do? What, like, how would you go about building an Instagram account? You'd start a couple, you'd start a couple of fan pages, then build up the brand account. What are the tactics there? Can we go delve a bit deeper? Are we assuming that I don't have my 15 million followers? Yeah. Let's assume that you don't. What would you do from scratch? Let's assume I've got zero followers. Yep. The first thing I'd do is read your guide <laughs> on how to build followers. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's one of the best resources I've actually read on Instagram and building an Instagram following. That's why I've reposted it on our blog and everything. I, it definitely has a lot to do with your content strategy. So it's kind of identifying not only the product that's trending at the time, but the content that's trending in the verticals around your product at the same time. So on Instagram right now, if you wanted to do a skin product tutorials trending on the popular page or on the explore page at the moment, so you might build up a tutorial page at the same time and then advertise the skin product onto that page. But the way that I'd start building a page would definitely be content, engagement, growth, and then conversions. So you'd start with content and you'd have a look what was quite popular within your industry, see other like-minded pages and see what's going really well on those pages and then use those as a kind of content guide for yourself. Then you'd move on to people engaging with that content and that might be in terms of starting off with some hashtags so that you get some further engagement on your... Yeah, target audience. Yeah, for sure. But, no, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. I wouldn't use... (laughs) I hate it when people say like, oh, use hashtags, use this. I know that they're the starting points for sure, Mm. but it's actually more about joining with other pages that have a similar demographic and a similar reach to you. Mm. So, yeah, Um, let's talk about, yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep going. But we want want to talk about S for S and stuff like that too. Yeah, for sure. So S for S, like you've identified in your post, is a concept of shout out for shout out, which means that you would collaborate with another page. I loved your concept of collaboration over competition, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You collaborate with another page and you mutually help each other grow. So it's great to find a page that has a similar following to you. Say you have, you're starting off with 500 followers. If you can find another page that has a similar style, similar visual element, similar content strategy, and a similar amount of followers, there's no reason why you can't take half of those followers and become 750 followers again. So then you team up with a page that has 750 followers or multiple pages that do. And you shout each other's content, which is you would post their photo, they would in turn post a photo from your page and they'd mention your page like, hey, check out my friend's new page or follow at weight loss secrets for actionable tips on how to lose some extra kilos. So that's one strategy. 
At the same time, I understand that that is a really, really important strategy. But also, if you don't want to lose some of your engagement on your page through shout outs that are shout out for shout out, you can always pay for shout outs. So you can pay a page, another inspiration style account to post your content and grow more organically through that. So why is influencer marketing so key now if you if you do have any kind of brand? Because we've done it at Founder and uh, we've done it like reasonably well as well. Not nowhere yeah. near to the scale that you guys have done it, but it's been incredibly key for us, you know, to build our social. Yeah. No, it's just a different market. I think you guys have done a really great job with influencer marketing. Just I think like the main importance is that constantly the trust of a consumer for a brand is decreasing over time. Brands used to be more of a trusted authority point for a consumer and now consumers kind of are feeling disillusioned by a lot of brand history. Uh, So I think like the main importance of influencer marketing is that influencers not only have an audience's attention, but they also have that audience's trust. And so it's kind of that trust component that makes influencer marketing so important and that makes it so effective as well. So I think like the main importance of influencer marketing is how effective it is on your company's bottom line. It's the most effective digital marketing technique that there is right now in terms of ROI. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a big claim. Um, (laughs) Can like uh, how, how do you measure ROI? That's um, that's 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 something that comes up a lot. Well, there are a lot of kind of different ways to measure social ROI. It depends what your goals basically are, and whether those goals are kind of more follower and social growth based or sales based. And you can track and manage both of those. A tool that we're building into Hay right now um, for our follower based campaigns. Um, is the ability to track follower growth based off the new followers that you gained after an influencer's post that used to be their followers and are now your followers. So basically the algorithm would do their followers minus your followers equals followers gained. So you can see like that you like have gained 56 followers off one influencer post and 1,020 off another. And it just makes it very, very clear that the ROI um, in terms of social growth was much higher for one influencer than another. And often it you might be really surprised by the influencers. We find, especially for micro-influencers, because they have that higher level of trust and because their feeds aren't as saturated with branded content, that sometimes they provide really surprising results. So it's just great to have that tool there to track. Yeah, gotcha. So if people want to know more about how to use influencer marketing to grow their brand, to grow their business, uh, is it um, B2C mainly or can B2B do it? Um, love, love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, I think that it, B2C, it's going to usually be more effective. It just depends on the audience of the influencer. Basically, like an influencer is someone that has an audience's attention, basically, and can influence their audience on a brand's behalf to buy the products they recommend. 
So if that audience happens to have a lot more business owners in it, like founders, for example, then that's when you're an influential body or you're an influencer in the B2B network. And we are looking to integrate LinkedIn to Hay as well um, so that we can harness kind of that more B2B aspect too with LinkedIn influencers. Yeah, that would be really, really smart because there are people like in the B2B space that, you know, like have big followings around, you know, SaaS or big followings around yeah. um, consulting or, you know, like there's like Richard Brands. Like I, I don't know if you do, you, do you think that you would get business leaders to, to connect to the platform to do influence deals? Yeah, I think that once we implement our kind of more co-marketing aspect, that's when that will come in a lot more. So basically the point of difference for Hay to other platforms in the market, I think like I'm in kind of a bit of a unique position to comment on influencer marketing in that I've been on the brand side representing my brands and also having those 17 million Instagram followers I've been on the influencer side before. So I can kind of understand the pain points and complexities from both sides of the market. And the main thing that I've noticed that is lacking in the market right now is the understanding that influencer marketing is a multi-directional relationship. It's not just a brand sending an influencer a brief and saying, this is what you need to do. Like there needs to be the component for an influencer to be able to pitch to a brand. And then also for multiple influencers, or like maybe a bit of a kind of content crew, like, you know, this is our hairstylist, this is our makeup artist, this is our photographer, this is the model, blah, 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 this is our videographer, to be able to then go pitch their creative concept to a brand. And then also the next stage of the product is then multiple brands being able to collaborate on a single campaign. So say there's a lot of brands that are often identified with other brands or where competition isn't going to be an issue. I've always been a lot more into collaboration over competition. So it's that kind of collaborative aspect that a frank body like my sister's company could team up with a skinny me tea because we have really similar audiences, but it wouldn't be detracting from either company's sales. And we could split the cost of that influencer marketing campaign. We could say as long as, you know, if you're franking you know, like if you're doing a body scrub, that's quite detoxifying for your skin. And if you're drinking a detox tea at the same time, that wouldn't be an unusual thing to happen. People often use our products side by side. So why not team up to create that content at scale at half the price? So it's multiple brands being able to team up like that, like a sunglasses company and a t-shirt company. The opportunity is kind of endless in that way. So I think it's like connecting brands to collaborate brand to brand at the same time as connecting influencers to collaborate with brands, brands to collaborate with influencers. But then also the next step after that is the influencer to influencer collaborations. So it's ah. the fact that you need to constantly be focusing on your growth as an influencer. And you should be spending 80% of your time as an influencer focusing on your organic engagement and 20% focusing on your branded content. So that. 80% of your time can be spent collaborating with other influencers that are around the same size as you and around the same reach. So we've already got this platform with like highly engaged influencers to be able to connect those influencers to collaborate at the same time to help grow their social accounts, also to help show them like in metrics and data based off the other tool that we're implementing with the um, tracking of followers, how that's faring for them. 
will be really, really important. So it's kind of, it's connecting this market in multiple directions. Mm, Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Yeah, because as influencers, like, you know, you see all the YouTubers, they all collaborate, like they're all from LA, they're all getting in each other's videos, like they're all collaborating, they don't see each other's competition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, gotcha. which is great. And it's like fashion bloggers that hold those um, those giveaways where you have to follow one of them and then you follow the next one and the next one and the next one. On Instagram, for example, like they'll be giving away a Gucci bag or something like that. And uh, they all collaborate together, maybe like five of them, and share each other's reach in that way. And you said the micro, the micro influencers, the ones that, you know, might be just starting to get a following, are they the ones that you really want to tap into where their following is quite big? They're not doing that much posting. They've got a reasonable, like a really, really strong, deep trust with their audience the most, or, or have you seen results with really, really big ones too? Like maybe a Kylie Jenner, like, yeah, I'm really curious around that. Yeah. I think that a lot of people speak about their really high results with macro influencers like Kylie Jenner, like, oh, we sold out, but they may have only had like 50 units in stock to sell out and a post with Kylie Jenner costs $300,000. I haven't heard one brand actually regenerate all of the sales they spent on that one post with a macro influencer like a Kylie Jenner. So like the celebrity as an influencer side isn't often going to work unless you have like a personal relationship with that influencer, which is very unusual. Like if Kylie Jenner happened to be like your cousin's best friend, then great, go for it. But the great part about macro influencers is macro influencers influence your micro influencers. So it's more that the macro will influence the other influencers that you might want to work with. So often there's a macro influencer of a market so say Sydney foodies, the macro influencer of that market might be your lychee pan, for example, who has a much, you know, a higher following. I think she's got like over 500,000 followers, very engaged. And every Sydney foodie knows that lychee pan is kind of like a go-to person in terms of content styling audience engagement. So if you do engage a macro influencer, you can use that as leverage to engage your micro influencers. Plus your micro influencers will have had exposure to your brand through seeing it on Leachy's feed. So you're much more likely to then be able to pursue them for just a product for post or a cheaper post than usual. So I often just use macro influencers to influence your micro influencers, micro influencers influence your customers. Gotcha. So the micro influencers will influence kind of like your user generated content. Um, So a great way to kind of get users and your customers to create the images they want is by using those micro influencers for constant content generation. And then your customer will use that as inspiration to then create content based off that. Yeah, because UGC is so key. You, you like as, as a great way to sell. You need to have influencers. Yeah. You need to have everyday people like me or you using the product yeah. because that's what people relate yeah. to the most. Because that's the real results and reviews. People are increasingly understanding that influencers are paid, um, or influencers were given that product. So 
it's an influencer's job now to stay as authentic and real and organic with their audience as possible. And that is their role. And it is brand's job to allow that influencer to kind of propagate their creative direction. Like you should not be saying post this with these exact words or like it's really unfair on the influencer and it's not going to have good results for your brand. An influencer knows their audience. Um, and the great thing about influencer marketing as well is that studies have shown that influencer marketing leads to 37% higher retention rate of customers at the same time. So because those leads are more qualified, because they already have that identifiable kind of feeling towards your brand when they're signing up, they can remember kind of why they signed up in the first place or which image, um, you know, resulted in that sign up. And so then they identify that with your brand on a more ongoing kind of basis because um, they've got that emotional attachment as well to your product. Okay, guys. So now we're going to jump to Darren Rouse. And Darren is the godfather of blogging. And if you do have a startup or you do have a business and you're not utilizing content marketing to get more traffic to build your business, then you're missing out. And it's one of those things where like you can write a really, really good article and it could be a cornerstone piece, uh, you know, to do with your brand or your business and, and you know, what, you, what your product or service does and the value it provides. And that piece that blog piece could drive traffic for free for years and years and years and years to come. Uh, super powerful. So anyways, Darren is one of the best in the world at this stuff. He runs a company called Digital Photography School. It's one of the top photography blogs in the world. He generates millions upon millions of visitors every single month to his websites. And he also runs a very successful blog, teaching blogging called ProBlogger. And in this interview, I just picked his brain on what it takes to build and grow a successful content-based business and really master blogging and content marketing. Nothing big has ever happened to me out of the blue. It's always started as something tiny. It's always started as an idea that's keeping me awake at night or um, just something that someone says in conversation that gives me an idea that won't go away. And it's about paying attention to those things that give you energy doing experiments around those things. So, you know, and having a blog is the perfect way to do an experiment, to put a post out there and to watch what happens as a result of you putting your idea out there. And when other people get energy by what gives you energy, they're the golden moments and that's what you need to invest your time into. So I'm a big believer in, you know, learning as much as you can, sucking in as much information as you can and paying attention to what gives you energy and and experimenting around that. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny you say that because I was just thinking like when we started that Instagram course, the reason that, that we started an Instagram course and I never even thought we'd get into, you know, the online education space in terms of video courses and stuff was because we wrote a blog post about Instagram and that mm. just exploded. Yep. And that that's still to this date the most successful blog post on our site because we just, you know, really went in depth and, and just people just were blown away by it. And then I was just like, well, guys, like, would you be interested in a course on how to do some of this stuff? And yeah, it just really took off. So yeah, a blog is a really great place to run experiments and tests. Yeah, for sure. And you know, my best selling product is an ebook, 31 days to build a better blog. And that started at 2am one night, an idea that wouldn't go away. And I got up and wrote it saying, I'm going to start this 
free series tomorrow mm. if you want to if there's enough interest in it i woke up the next morning there was there was energy coming back to me and i ran it um and then i ran it the next year and i ran it the next year because it, the interest grew and it turned into a, an ebook which turned into a second ebook which turned into a series of podcasts um and it's the best thing i've ever done but it all started by paying attention to that little idea and then watching to see what happened as a result of it. Um, the same thing is true for many of the products that we've created on Digital Photography School. Um, we we always are analysing how articles, how our tutorials are going over, and if one takes off, it turns into you know a follow up, and then um, we begin to do some surveys and testing around whether people might be interested in that type of product. And then eventually, hopefully, it'll become either a course or an ebook or or something else. What are some things that people can learn? Like, if you have a startup that you're running, you know, or if you want to start a lifestyle business, um, you know, why should people be blogging? What are some so what are some things people should be doing? How often should be people be blogging? You know, just run us through like what you recommend to people usually, Darren. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess it, there, there's different types of blogs, and that's probably one of the first things you need to ponder is, you know, what's the goal of the blog? Is it is the blog going to make money? Um, and, you know, my blogs started out, I ran advertising on them, that's how they made money, and so the blog itself made money, whereas other people would start a blog to support an existing business that they already have um, and use a blog more for content marketing um, mm. to build their profile, to build their brand, and to um, drive people to that business. So there's there's that distinction that you need to make there. Um, and so really the answer to that will determine how you want to build that blog. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Let's just go down one pathway. Let's yeah. go, let's go down the pathway of like someone starting a business. They know what the business is about, you know, they're trying to drive traffic. Um, you know, they mm. want to get more leads, sales, followers and profit. Sure. Yeah. So if you are um, wanting to use the blog to, to support a business and not make money directly, you need to think about, Ultimately, what you want your readers to do is probably to buy your product or to hire you. And so you want to start creating content on a regular basis. That's going to be the first step in that journey. Um, and so positioning yourself, um, thinking about the customer that you want to have, I guess, and what is interesting to them. Um, what are their pain points? I'm a big believer in writing content and creating content that's um, going to eliminate pain in the life of, of those you, you um, want to read your blog, uh, um, solve problems, fix needs, um, and touch on those sort of fears that people have and the dreams that people have as well. And so mm. you, you want to be really thinking about who your reader is first and then think about how you want to change your reader with your content. Mm. Um, and so this is an exercise that I do on my blogs all the time, whether no matter what type of blog you have. Um, where is your reader when they come to you? Yes. What are their problems and needs? Yes. And where do you want them to be as a result of reading your blog? And do that on a whiteboard, put a line between them. And once you've got that point A and point B, you can begin to fill in the gaps. What do they need to know? What do you need to teach them that will get them from point A to point B? And those become your blog points, your blog posts. Um, so for me on Digital Photography School, where my readers come, they're in automatic mode. They've got these great cameras. They don't know how to use them. They're taking average photos. Mm. I want them to, that's where they are. I want them to have full creative control of their cameras. That's point B. And so I know that if I want to get them from one point to the other, they need to learn about things like aperture and shutter speed, how to hold a camera, all these basic things. And so I did this exercise um, when I started digital photography school and I came up with about 
200 things that they needed to know mm. to have full creative control of their cameras. And so that was my first year's content. Yeah, wow. Um, so that's just a really simple exercise that you can do that will help you to create content that's actually going to change people's lives in some way. May only be a small way. It may not be, you know, solving poverty or, you know, changing the world in that way. But um, if you're changing people in some way, they're going to come back and they're going to tell other people about it. And I think that's a really big, big way to build a successful blog. Yeah, so, you know, creating content that, that takes people on that journey. The other type of content you want to think about is shareable content. Um, and you don't want to just do shareable content. You don't, don't want to just do funny things or infographics or because that kind of content, that shareable content is can be a lot, bit light and fluffy. It doesn't mm. tend to change people as much, yeah. but you do want to sprinkle it in. And so for Digital Photography School, we realized that our readers really responded to when we did a post that was 20 images on a certain topic, you know, beautiful, gorgeous images. Um, our readers responded to humor. They responded to any time we mentioned Canon versus Nikon. <laughs> it started a debate. Um, those type of pieces of content got shared mm. a lot. So a good place to go and find that type of content for your um, particular topic is buzz sumo um ah, yes buzz sumo that's killer it's expensive but you can use a free version which is yeah. awesome yeah. so you just type in your your topic and it will show you the most shared pieces of content on that topic and that they're the type of pieces of content you want to sprinkle amidst the mm. other cornerstone content that you create um, so that shareable content often gets the eyeball and then you can pull people from it into your cornerstone content that builds credibility. And if you want to convince someone to become a customer of yours, you need to build that credibility. You need to show that you know what you're talking about. So don't just do light and fluffy stuff. Um, like I listicles. You don't want to just do the listicles, although yeah. they, they can be powerful. But You like I the find, listicles. I like listicles, but I always... Um, some of my best listicles are actually lists with links to my cornerstone content. So ah. here's 10 things you need to know about blogging. And then if you want to learn more about each of these 10 things, there's a link into a 2000 word article on that topic. Ah. So you get the share with the list, but you get the conversion, the loyal reader, because they work through some of that further reading and they're like, wow, they know what they're talking about. I need to subscribe. Um, so really think about that type of content, mix it up, but always be driving people deeper into your blog to the content that's going to change their life in some way. Yeah. Wow. All right. This is awesome. This is, we're really channeling some good wisdom here, Darren. I'm loving it. Oh, All cool. right. So I have a few other questions, you know, um, you know, one, and this is something that um, I've been thinking about with the founder team is we're producing brilliant content right now. We produce maybe three blog posts a week, and these are like in-depth, life-changing pieces, and we're really, you know, tackling certain things, and they're really, really useful pieces that we're tackling. Um, but the next question, and this is something I raised to my team, was like, guys, we're producing epic content, killer content, but we're not doing anything around promotion besides, you know, having our automated systems promoted through Twitter, promoted through Facebook. Do you guys have a process when you produce a piece of content around promoting it? Because content production is only half the work, right? Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, look, killer content is great and it will get shared if you've already got readers. But mm. if you're just starting out and you don't have any readers, you need to do the sharing. You need to seed that content yourself. Yeah. Um, and so you're probably at a point where 
it's going to have benefits if you you're promoting it, but you've already got the readers who are going to do that for you to some extent. So mm. if you're just starting out, yeah, I think it's really important to get off your blog to not just have a build it and they will come mentality mm. because they won't just come um, no matter how good it is. <laughs> you need to be pushing it out there. A really simple thing you can do is to grab a piece of paper or open a document and identify the top three bloggers in your niche, the top three Instagrammers, the top three podcasters, the top three Twitter users, the top three Facebook pages. Come up with a, a list of the most influential people in your particular topic and then ask yourself how can I build a, a useful presence on those blogs on those Facebook pages in those podcasts they're the places you should be hanging out adding value not just promoting your stuff but actually solving problems for people who are also hanging out there um, that gets you on the radar of those types of people um, you know that then opportunities come for guest posting for being interviewed on podcasts, um, for engaging on their Facebook page and, and them sharing your content as well. That's what I did when I started out and it really worked very well. So, um, you know, don't see other people who are doing what you're doing as competitors, actually see them as potential friends who, you know, might be collaborators and that you can help and that they can help you as well. Um, but we don't have a system as such for promoting pieces of content. For me, it's more of a case-by-case -case situation. If we produce a great piece of content, I'm not just pushing it out to every single person I know. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about who has readers who would benefit from that piece of content. I might email that person. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're doing direct outreach for, yep. for every single post. Not every single post, but the ones that I see a real connection with. Um, yep. the, the only thing that we do do for every single post is, I guess, push it out to our social networks. Yep. Um, we use CoSchedule for you know pushing things onto Twitter and onto Facebook at certain intervals after we publish them. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, apart from that, it's a bit more case by case and really just trying to be useful to the blogosphere in my particular niche as well, you know, by participating in Twitter chats or yeah, just engaging on other people's Facebook pages and that type of thing. Also, you know how you said not to view people as competitors and more collaborators? This is a big thing for people. Mm. I know that in, in like, you know, our space, you know, online, online business, online entrepreneurship, you know, startups, whatever, this is, this is fine. But what if you had like, you're in a different niche. Do you think that this is relevant for every single niche, not to view other people as competitors and, and view them as potential collaborators? I think it is relevant for every niche, but it also it depends how people treat you as well. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you that's can't true. treat someone as a collaborator who's not wanting to collaborate. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. That doesn't mean you need to get fiercely competitive. I, for me, that just means I, um, move on yeah. <laughs> and, and move, find someone who is. I think in most industries that I've had anything to do with, there's usually networking groups and, and people who are willing to collaborate, who are willing to engage and, and work together. You know, I can think of offline, you know, business networks that I've been a part of in the past. Um, and yes, there's all, always selfish motivations there. And, you know, that's, I guess, part just part of who we are. <laughs> As, as people, we want to um, further ourselves to some degree, but I think um, there's always people who are really genuinely open to working together. And um, as long as it can be a win-win interaction, um, yeah, I think that definitely that should be your, your starting point is looking for that type of relationship.
Now we've got Diona Monique, and she's the founder of Boho Exotic Studio, and she sells hair extensions online. So it's an e-commerce business. And who would have thought, you know, you know, being behind social media, you could generate millions and millions of dollars, especially over Instagram selling hair extensions. Uh, so Diona is one of our really successful students that's done our Instagram training. Uh, she's just absolutely killed it. She, she, you know, she, she was struggling with Instagram, took our course, everything we shared with her, just ran with it, generated a lot of money, absolutely crushing it. So in this interview, Diona shares with us tactics she's used for explosive growth in her business, like influencer marketing, and how to overcome bad feedback with your product. What I learned from working in a business is that I learned that all I have to do is find, you were talking about this in your Instagram domination, how you were saying, you know, find people that are, that work in your niche. And that's what I did. I went out and looked for my local celebrity. I didn't want to go out to like Beyonce and contact my, the Beyonce, you know, the Beyonce, but I wanted to contact the Beyonce in my local area. Who was that person? And so I found my local Beyonce and her name was Kim Johansson. If you guys don't know who she is, definitely look her up, which I naturally think she's, um, you know, she still is. She is my Beyonce. She helped me. But I contacted her and I said, hey, you know, I've got these hair extensions. I just wanted you to try them out because, you know, she could wear anything and it just naturally fits with her. But she was like, well, you know. They have to be good hair extensions. And, you know, she was all about quality herself. But I sent them out to her and she loved them. And, you know, she had, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers back then. And it's, you know, tripled since. But she had hundreds of thousands of followers and she did a YouTube video. And then she did it on her Instagram. And it just went, it just went Boom. crazy after that. Yeah. Um, so then from that local celebrity, then I went to her local celebrity and then just kind of spiraled to where I didn't have to contact anyone anymore. People, you know, contact me from celebrities to movies, to TV, you know, just magazines everywhere. Yeah. Wow. And so you think that working with influencers in your industry has been massive for the growth of your business? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I can definitely say that that is, you know, 100, 100% helpful as far as a beauty influencer um, because they're who, you know, on Instagram when it comes to women, they are they look at, we look at other women. we like to see what makeup they're wearing, what, what eyelashes and hair extensions, what dress they're wearing. So when it comes to a beauty influencer, it's really, it's really important. A lot of people laugh at that. They say like, oh, you're an Instagram model. Like, yes. Do you understand that uh, as a CEO, I'm looking <laughs> out for them every day? So, so yes, of course. So I just, you know, I mean, I just went so so tunnel vision and working so hard to make my name as credible as it was from the very beginning before she ever made the video and her video is actually still out there but it doesn't but it doesn't bother me because you know like i said how i started in the business is is basically the customer i i tried to get my name and my face out of it 
and put the customer. You're going to hear just like how I once was before I started my business and how I was doing YouTube videos. I wanted, I wanted an Instagram post or whatever. I wanted the customer to, to do that, do that like that with my company. Instead of me being the face of the company, let the customer be the face, let them tell you for yourself. If they hate the hair, let them say it. If they love the hair, let them say it. And so that's exactly what happened. So you're getting Instagram posts of customers from all over the world that are saying, you know, all this great stuff. And it kind of picked me up and it helped me because the customer's voice is a very loud one. The customer is not always right, but I make them feel like they are. And I just, I just put the tunnel vision on and just let them run the show as far as their opinion and what they think, because that helped me build and craft the company to where it is built around them. It's what they want from the hair texture to the quality. I mean, the quality is so insane right now. There's no company that can even compete with mine. And I say this, I don't say this just because, you know, I'm like, uh, I love my business or whatever. I say this because this is what the customer tells me. And I mean, and going as far as, you know, a very quote unquote, you know, bigger company. um, And I say bigger as far as more followers than I have, because it's the only difference that we have. They, they were even mentioning me on a, a television show just recently and saying that I was their competition. I didn't even think that I was their competition. I don't, I don't see anybody as my competition, but for them to mention my name and for, you know, different hair companies to come after and say, you know, cut, shut your business down. Your business looks like my, it's like, no, it doesn't at all. You know, I'm in my own industry entity. I'm in my own lane. And I think that when I follow my own lane and listen to the customer, everything just, just falls into place. And so now the, the company, as far as, yeah, was there a hard time like that? If there was no harder time than that, that was it. You don't want the, now I don't see it like that. If I, if a customer made a video or a a post or they said they hated my company, I would treat it completely differently now but back then it was very it hurt me it like it just it was like the end of the world for me that's what it felt like but I I, I changed I changed it helped build me and grow me like yes I'm gonna fix this I'm never gonna you know do business with you ever again but I definitely am going to change you know the outlook of the company and make it something that's quite untouchable for anyone to be able to say negative things about it. And I just put that energy in the air and that's just what comes back. I have quality and, and the customer sees that. And that's what I love about it. The customer, if they love the hair, they say it. And what's, that's also another thing about my Instagram page is if you go on my Instagram page, you won't see kind of moving subjects really quick, but you won't see a lot of, you know, very like, professional photos with these, you know, uh, photo shoots that were taking place. We do that, but for the most part, it's really about the customer. So I want it to be able, cause customers, I have to tell you when it comes to hair extensions and a customer looks at the product, 
they don't believe when a celebrity comes on to the page and says, hey, guys, look at my product. Um, Click on their link and get 10% off. They don't believe stuff like that. (laughs) You know, they really don't. They think, you know, they were just getting paid to do this. How am I supposed to know that this is real? So what I do is, you know, most of our, our feed is nothing but customers because you know why the customer can see the person that is clicking on our page is going to see the actual customer wearing the hair for two years for a year for six months they've dyed the hair and they can actually click on the customer's picture and say hey you know do you like this hair you know that's where my marketing has come from it's all come from the customer it's all come from word of mouth, you know, uh, word of mouth from social networking. So, and that, that is where I get my piece because I mean, right now we're a little over 90,000, um, followers and it's growing and it's, it continues to grow because I believe that it is this word of mouth and that the customer can be able to, you know, ask the real questions to real customers and get real pictures and real video of real hair, which is not going on in the industry. I think people think that, you know, if it's all professionally done, which is good, it looks good, but that's not, it's really important to listen to the customer. And I think that's what I have got down is I listen to what they need and, and what, and it may look different, but I guarantee you it makes more sales. All right. Now we've got a super successful entrepreneur, Derek Flansrush, and he's the founder of a company called Greatest.com, and I actually met him because uh, I'm part of a, com- a group called EO uh, in New York a few years back, and you know what was really, really impressive when I met him is what he's done with his company in the past five to six years. They have over 10 million monthly unique visitors, and he really understands branding, he understands traffic, and he understands content marketing. I know you guys are going to be really interested in the content marketing strategy that Derek gives, ton of gold around their content strategy. All right, let's jump in. I moved into this apartment with me and these two people, one of whom, one of whom I'd never met in person and the other one I didn't know that well. And they were the two most important people in, you know, greatest very early days. And they instantly hated each other and they worked extremely well together. And it was like, if somebody could have a reality show they wouldn't believe how hilarious December was. Like, it's like, it's, they would have thought the whole thing was scripted. Like it was a literal unreal thing. We all lived in the same place. We cooked dinner for each other every night. We, you know, fought and, and like edited. And it was just like such a insane thing. And, you know, then we went right to bed and woke up the next morning and and went at it again. Uh, And then as we were approaching the end of the summer, we acknowledged that, no tra- traffic hadn't changed. Basically, traffic had plateaued. And this was really disappointing. And I remember sitting around a table and having the first of, so uh, there's this book, I think we may have talked about it when we met, but this book uh, by Ben Horowitz called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. great uh, book. It's a great book. And in it, he talks about, I think they're called the We're Fucked, It's Over conversations. Yes. And we've had many of them. But this was probably the, I mean, this was at least the first major one. We <laughs> sat around the table. We're like, we're fucked and sober, guys. People aren't ready for this. Society doesn't need content. Like, maybe society really isn't, isn't prepared to accept that 
accomplishing and succeeding at health is more than just like a miracle pill or a shortcut. Maybe we're just not there as a people yet. Maybe people, this social media thing, uh, you know, maybe it's not really the answer. And us producing a very small quantity of content at a really high quality, maybe that's the wrong approach to take because what we really should be doing is spamming Google, which we refuse to do. And we sat around this table and slowly said, or, you know, maybe we just need to focus. Maybe we need to focus in on a demo. At the time, we thought we were going to be the health site for everyone. Mm -hmm. And maybe we need to double down on something that's starting to grow. And so that's what we did. We decided, looked around the table and said, let's focus on millennials since we're all millennials and we think we know them relatively well. And where are millennials? And all of us were recently had started using this small platform called Pinterest. Mm. And we loved it. And we thought it was like this really exciting, interesting platform. And so we decided then and there that we were going to focus our demographic, you know, our target demo entirely on millennials. And we were going to focus entirely on them on Pinterest. And we basically doubled down, I mean, really like over-invested in that, decided everything was gonna have a visual component, said we were gonna be the most innovative and, and the biggest, most innovative people on this, on this platform. And we picked the right platform, frankly, picked the right platform and picked the right content for that platform because that took us from, you know, Pinterest took off in the end of 2011, it was like the hottest thing. And we were there for that ride. I mean, we were a part of that ride. We, we went from, I wanna say, you know, 100,000 or less unique visitors a month to like one, one million. And, you know, suddenly we were like yeah, off wow. to the races, uh, our real site, you know, one million like, and then over the next year or so that built it to something like two to three, uh, basically on almost all Pinterest traffic. Wow. And do you still get a lot of traffic from Pinterest now? We do, actually. Uh, today, Pinterest, you know, one point Pinterest made up something like, I want to say 60% of our traffic, you know, wow. uh, maybe 60, 70% of our traffic. And today it makes up uh, roughly 10, but, you know, 10, 10% of 10 million is, is no joke. It's, yeah. You know, like somewhere roughly around 1 million unique visitors a month. So wow. our traffic actually from there hasn't changed that much. <laughs> we still get roughly the same amount, despite the growth and saturation and all that stuff of the, of, of the platform itself. This is another one of these we're fucked it's over conversations. Uh, we realized basically that we had trained people to, well, so the internet was changing. Mm. And what, so what year was level. this? This was like 20, well, 2013, yep. let's say. So the internet is changing. When we started out in 2011, it was basically good enough that we wrote content that didn't suck. Like the, the fact that we were writing great content in the right voice was enough. And people were like, wow, great content, go there. But as we approached 2013, frankly, other people were figuring things out and not writing total shit content, which is great news. I mean, we were thrilled about it. However, it meant that our differentiation was less clear. Um, and Pinterest, which was a huge benefit for us, started to pale in comparison to how well other people were doing on social channels like oh, Facebook and, you know, uh, other places. So our team, however, that we built had sort of frankly been like a little bit brainwashed, right? They, most of them had come right out of college 
and they were brainwashed into writing exactly terrifically well what we asked them to do, which is thoughtful, quality-driven pieces without any real sense or ability for any social network besides Pinterest. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and frankly, Pinterest is different from other platforms in that it's not a social network. And they say this at Pinterest. And Silverman says a lot of Pinterest. Yes. Uh, it's not. Pinterest is the kind of thing that you can almost like add on to your content. You just have to really think about it. And the topics of the content you're writing have to be related to it. So it has to play a part of your strategy, but it's different than like you're writing for it. It is that it wouldn't even make sense really for Pinterest. Mm. So our team, really terrific, amazing writers who are doing terrific work, couldn't quite make the leap. And I blame me, not them, right? Like. I was the one who was leading the charge here. I was the one who couldn't convince them and train them and teach them to evolve into like a next generation version of a journalist. And so in an admission of my like failure, ended up having to let them go and replace them with people who actually already had this experience and had understood social media packaging and framing in a new way on top of being great writers and journalists. And so it was a particularly sad time. Uh, but thanks to the new team we hired, we went from something like two-ish million to five and then six. And we sort of reached this holy grail that I'd heard of, of the five million unique visitor mark. And that was huge for us. That helped us like, you know, really pushed us over the edge, I think, in like saying, okay, this is a real thing. We're a real company. People can walk into any room and people take us seriously. And that move uh, is really important. And at the same time, we got, I don't want to say lucky, but by sort of a happy accident, we ended up starting to do very well in Google search. Ironically, we had set out to sort of be the anti-search play. We looked at what was in Google search and we said, this is the worst stuff ever. And we said, people are so sick of this. They're going to turn to places like Facebook and like Pinterest for their health and wellness information and inspiration, frankly, because like they'll trust it more coming from their friends. So we're going to be the best answer from their friends. And, and that was a good strategy, frankly, and better than I even thought. Because what happened is that Google, you know, we used to call it skate to where the puck is going. So mm -hmm. sometimes say that today. But basically, like we were like, what should Google be sharing? And then you know what? Google caught up and Google actually took our stuff that was now being shared on social media and was actually really terrific and started showing it really highly in results organically. And so today, half of our traffic comes from Google search, organic Google search. And we don't have like an SEO strategy. We just write great content. Yeah, um, wow. So you do no keyword research, no like link building, nothing? Okay, so... I'm going to say we don't, but you are going to think I'm an idiot for saying that, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, wow. In some ways, we've sort of felt like we don't want to play with fire. Like we're not dumb about the keywords. Like we, you know, we know when something is trending that like that's a hot topic. So we'll write more content on it, but we're not like, you know, we definitely don't do any active like link building, though our content tends to be resource, evergreen resource driven and tends to get a lot of links. We write our content for sharing, which I think is a very strong signal, obviously, in Google. And we truly set out to write the best piece of content. And you know what? Like, good for Google. 
I genuinely believe greatest is the best answer on any topic you search for. And so if we've written about it. And so Google is algorithm as it started to weed out the content farms and started to take down bad content, started to reward us better and better. Every time they do an algorithm change at Google, we end up, our traffic ends up growing. Uh, we have like general senses of how much each of our you know, categories is going to produce every week, but we're not like counting it. You know, we just have a general sense. Uh, we don't think quantity is a metric that matters. Just like I don't think increasingly uniques and page views is a metric that matters. All these things can be gained and are not inherently valuable on their own. If you're not trying to spam Google or spam Facebook, why are you writing 50 or 500 articles a day? Like well, literally why? Nobody needs that. Nobody can read that. Users don't appreciate that. So we sort of take what everyone is doing because that's what people do. And we, you, we basically like flip it and we ask why, you know, uh, and then we try to do things the right way. That doesn't mean we don't write content that is, you know, packaged and framed thoughtfully for Facebook. It doesn't mean, in fact, we're starting recently to start writing some native, you know, native-driven articles on Facebook, mm. uh, where it literally just lives on Facebook. You know, we're constantly experimenting with every one of these social platforms. We're we're not like purists for the sake of purity. We're, we're we don't not care about our content performing. Don't get me wrong. Our belief actually is just the opposite. It's that. It's that if you produce amazing content and you package it and frame it the right way, that it will heavily outperform, you know, what everyone else is doing. And sometimes we say it's sort of like, you know, if you've got four to five shots on goal, better make them good ones. Mm -hmm. And we take really good shots. So let's take it back. How can people, you know, early stage startups and, and founders getting started, how can they use what you know, what's, what's, you know, to, to get started utilizing content and not, not, you know, as a traffic play or, or as a, you know, a great way to connect with your, like a prospective audience that you're going after to connect people up with your product or your service. Yeah. Okay. So I think a couple of things, I think first, my first advice always is uh, a little exercise I call the little John. Do you, do you know that story about like Robin Hood? Yeah, of course. Do you know who you know who Robin Hood is? All right. So um, I'm like a weird like fantasy person. So I like that bizarre stuff. Um, yeah. So anyway, so the little John exercise basically starts with you uh, with asking people first who is their audience, and second, what do you want them to do? And people will often answer something like it's uh, women. And I want them to buy my necklace, right? Or buy them, let's say, buy my online course. Okay. Mm. And so then what we do with the little John is we first say, take who you think your audience is and make them as small as humanly possible. So this is the little part, like literally so small you feel uncomfortable. And if you come out with something like, we are for suburban mothers between 35 and 40 with one to three kids who uh, are middle class and uh, love the movie, must love dogs, love rom-coms. They've got a dog. 
they've been thinking about getting a cat. They, you know, think a lot about spending more money on the gym. Uh, they think they need to go back to the gym, but they never really show up there. And on and on and on. You create this like really powerfully specific psychographic and demographic profile. Mm. And then you take the second thing that you're saying, this is the, what do you want your audience to do? And you broaden that as much as humanly possible is. Oh, you thought they were buying a course? Actually, they're buying a new way to think about who they are in society and their place within it. Oh, you think they're buying a course? Actually, they're buying something that will give them the confidence they've been missing since graduating high school valedictorian. Oh, you think they're buying a course? They're actually learning to save so that they can go on the dream vacation they've always wanted. And so you, ch you change sort of and broaden, you know, it depends, of course, on what the course is, because that won't apply to every course. But basically, the little John takes what, you, what you're thinking and tries to narrow and specify your audience as much as possible, because I believe that if you're not really relevant to someone, you're not relevant enough to anyone. Mm. And, and takes whatever you're trying to accomplish, which is sort of that, and most people, what you want them to do, and most people answer that with like, you know, what you're doing, and it takes you to the why. Right? So this is like Simon Sinek, start with why. I don't yeah particularly like I, I have mixed feelings about uh, Simon Sinek. And, but, but I think that the ultimate message of the why is really important, um, you know, translates in a really big way. So why do I say all that? The little John exercise, which I think is, um, I've been saying it that way now for maybe four or five years. Uh, it's because then the answer becomes what kind of content do I create? What kind of product do I build? What do I tweet? And it just becomes so much easier. Mm. You're creating such powerful constraints around, you know, who you're trying to reach and what you're trying to aspire them, inspire them to do that. Then you can kind of create a voice that resonates with them. You can speak to them where they're at. Right. So, you know, that's a big part of, all right, well then where are they? Where is this audience? Where's the audience and uh, that you that you specify very, 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 in a very focused way? And uh, where are they looking for that message overall that you've decided you're bringing them? And, and so that's, that's literally how I approach. That's what I would, I would call this, you know, step one to sort of like marketing, uh, much less content marketing. But I think, I think that's, you know, what we've done, I think really well maybe the only things we've done really great. And look, I think we've done a lot of things very well. I think we've done a lot of things poorly. Like no one's more critical, hypercritical than I am about like what we can improve on. But we have done one thing really well. And that is over time, increasingly narrowed who our audience target was and increasingly gotten better at communicating like what the mission is and what community, what identity, what ultimately like is our approach to what they're taking on. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, 
and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.